He's laying in his bed and he, uh, he's exhausted. He's physically exhausted, but his mind is just whirling. He can't sleep. And it's not because he's worried. It's just he can't believe he just got to witness what he witnessed. He can't believe he got to be part of what he got to be part of. And maybe while he's laying there just thinking of the, thinking of the day, the last 24 hours, even less, his mind goes back to when it all starts. And maybe he remembers his brother running up going, okay, you got to meet this guy. Okay, I'm telling you, this is it. We've been waiting for this guy for hundreds, thousands of years. This is it. And then one day, he and his brother, they're fishing because this is their job. And this guy, Jesus, comes walking up and says, hey, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. One simple invitation. And they drop everything. They drop their nets and they go after him. See, for us, I don't know if I would do that just because one guy comes walking up and says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to fish for men? But it wasn't that part that got him. I think it was the beginning part. Follow me. It's the one invitation. That's what the rabbi would do when he found the person that he wanted to come after him, that he wanted to pour his life into. The rabbi would walk up and say, follow me. That was the invitation. This is the golden ticket. The fact that Peter and Andrew didn't have that before, the fact that they had a regular job, meant that they weren't the pedigree. They weren't the top in the class. And so there was never any hope for them to get the invitation, except that day. And they weren't even going up to Jesus. They were just doing their normal thing. And Jesus noticed them and walks up to them, says, follow me. See, I know you've wanted the words, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll take what you know how to do and give it a purpose. And they drop everything. And yet they had no clue. He had no clue. Peter had no clue what it would look like. That right after that, as they're following, then Jesus goes up to these brothers, James and John, says, follow me. Says they dropped their nets and left their dad in the boat and took off. And all of a sudden, you kind of picture, well, if you're going to be with Jesus, you're just going to kind of sit around. He's just going to open up the scriptures. And it's going to be one of the most amazing Bible studies ever. I mean, think about it. The one who wrote the book is going to teach you the book. All of a sudden, he starts to teach, but all of a sudden, you just see this group of people. And they're helping people along the way who are limping, and you see people carrying other people. And I mean, it kind of looks like the walking dead walking toward them, going, what is going on here? And Jesus begins to heal. He sees... He sees someone with leprosy and just heals him. A person who struggled with epilepsy for years and heals him. A person who's possessed by demons and drives the demons out. And can you imagine as Peter's just laying there in his bed going, I can't believe this day, but oh, remember when it started? And how it felt to look and go, this is what you've invited us to. This looks nothing like church. This looks like this life that just leaves us breathless and speechless. One after another after another, people that are blind are given their sight, people that are deaf can hear, those who are lame can walk. There's so much joy, and yet news spreads, and multitudes come. Maybe, maybe Peter's laying there on that bed that day when it all finished and just thought, man, I got invited to this. No wonder I dropped the net. As he's thinking about the last 24 hours, he's just... Gosh, I remember when it started. I remember the first time I saw him walk on water. I mean, that terrified me. I thought it was a ghost. And then he hears Jesus say, don't be afraid. 
And Jesus, man, there's something about this. Then, then Peter had the nerve. Remember, Jesus is walking on water that one time. He thinks he's a ghost. And then Peter has this idea, hey, I'll make it sound like I want to do that too. Then all the disciples will have this huge respect for me. Peter will think, or Jesus will think I'm amazing. And all of a sudden, Peter says, hey, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you. Now think about it. How dumb does that sound? Because if they think it's a ghost, does, does Peter actually think the ghost cannot lie? Like the ghost could say, come on, Peter, yes, die. Come, come to me, come to me. But what's it like when Jesus all of a sudden says, come on? All the disciples are like, go on, Peter. Walk on the water. But what did it feel like when he stepped down? See, nobody else got to experience it. And what did the other disciples think when Peter stepped down and stood up? What did it feel like as he walked on water? He remembers that. Oh, I also, he also remembered that time when he, that same instance, he actually sunk because he stopped believing. He remembered, uh, he remember getting news where Jesus is sitting there talking to, just talking to people about the kingdom of God and someone comes up and says, hey, your, your friend is dying. Lazarus is dying. Peter, Peter starts grabbing all his stuff and helping Jesus grab his stuff and it's like, let's go. And Jesus is like, no, let's just wait. This won't end in death. This, there's a purpose behind this. The Lazarus dies. See, isn't it in those times where you don't understand? Then when Jesus starts walking up, all of a sudden Martha has all the faith and all the great, all the great Sunday school answers and says, oh, if you'd been here, this wouldn't happen. But I still believe. But Mary's nowhere to be found. In fact, she doesn't come out until somebody goes and gets her and says, hey, he's asking for you. Then Mary shows up. And she collapses to the ground and says, Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. You been there? God, if you're in charge, this wouldn't have happened. If you loved us, this wouldn't have happened. And the Bible says that Jesus zapped her. No, I'm just joking. He didn't do that. That would be really bad. <laughs> no. He just looked at her. Loved her and looked at the crowd as they were weeping. And it says that Jesus wept. But see, Jesus, or Peter remembered what it was like when all of a sudden Jesus is standing in front of this massive group of people. And all he says is, Lazarus, come forth. And the place goes silent, and then there's little murmurs. Did he just say that? Did he just say that? And here comes Lazarus. <laughs> and everyone celebrates and gives glory to God, except the ones who are supposed to notice God when he showed up. Except when the religious leaders saw what happened, that the people were turning to God and excited about what Jesus was doing. All of a sudden, the religious leaders looked and said, okay, we've got to kill Jesus and Lazarus. We've got to get rid of them both. Peter could see them starting their little plans and their little schemes. He remembers what that felt like. He remembers being in there when, when Jesus took a 12-year-old girl and brought her back from the dead and gave her back to her parents. Or when Jesus stopped a funeral procession and gave a son back to his mom. He remembers all that. And that's not the day that he's experienced so far, but his mind just won't stop. I can't believe this journey I've been on. He also remembers when Jesus says, he's with his disciples and looks at all of them and says, oh, just understand all of you tonight, you're going to run away from me. And Peter just remembers the passion because he really loved Jesus. And he speaks up, he says, ah, even if all these slackers run away, I never will. And Jesus says, you'll be the worst one. 
Because they're just going to run, but you're going to verbally deny me. You're going to say, I don't know the man three times before morning time. Peter's like, I won't do it all the rest of them chime in until all of a sudden it happens. He remembers what it was like when Jesus got arrested and he was going to save him. Remember, Jesus, maybe Peter's laying there on the bed going, I can't believe I did that. He actually starts to laugh because he thought, I pulled out a sword and took off a dude's ear. And then Jesus had to look and said, put that away. That's embarrassing, Peter. Like, what are you going for? You got his ear. You're horrible. <laughs> and as they watch, as, he, as, as Peter watches Jesus be taken away, all of them scatter. But Peter walks from a distance. And you have to give him credit. Because when Jesus was taken into the courtyard of the high priest's house, Peter went in. And he's sitting there warming himself at a fire. And I wonder if every time he thought of this, he still had that little cringe. Because he remembers this little servant girl coming up and says, you were with him. That's what he said. No. <laughs> you were with him. He's like, I don't know the man. No, no, I can tell you have the accent. No, I, I don't know him. <laughs> One of those who was in the crowd that arrested Jesus He's sitting there going, I saw you. You took off the dudes. I saw you. And he says, he calls out curses from heaven saying, I don't know the man. Then the rooster crowed. I wonder how long it took for Peter to get over that every time he heard a rooster crow. That thought, that feeling that came into his soul every time he heard that. I bet it took a while. It says he ran and wept bitterly. He still remembers what that's like. And maybe he's laying in the bed just, and as tears are streaming down his face, going, I still can't believe I did that. I still can't believe I did that. See, his mind's going all over the place. He says, I still can't believe I did that. But then he remembers when Jesus says, you're Simon, but you will be Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell cannot withstand it. Tears are just streaming down his face as he remembers the last 24 hours. And he remembers how Jesus went to a cross. He remembers that Jesus screamed out for the forgiveness of those who were crucifying him. He remembers that Jesus died. He remembers what Saturday felt like. See, you always think of Friday, how horrific that was. But how hopeless does Saturday feel? See, Friday's when Jesus died. Friday's when your dreams are shattered. And Saturday's when you're trying to pick up the pieces and figure out what's next. Right? And then there's Sunday. And none of them believed it would happen. That's why they weren't by the tomb. They weren't counting down. But some women come running into the disciples and say, okay, he's alive. We saw him. And Peter just hears it and takes off running. And I love John because John writes that Peter took off first and then the disciple whom Jesus loved, kiss up, goes running up after him. So Peter takes off running first. John trails behind him but then passes him. John makes sure we understand that he's faster than Peter. Do you sense some competitiveness? But then John's also honest that when he gets to the tomb, he stops on the outside to peer in and Peter just just goes right in, just right through like this bull in a china shop, just takes off inside. Why? Because I got to make sure it's true. Because yes, I denied him, but man, I want it to be true. 
And the first time he saw him, whoo. You remember when Jesus reinstated him? Peter, do you love me? I do. Peter, do you love me? I do. Peter, do you really love me more than all the rest of them? He remembers what that felt like. And every time Jesus, he remembers the words, just feed my sheep, feed my lambs, care for mine. Yeah, you're still the rock that I'll build the church on. And you're still the one. You're still the one. This church built on you and the gates of hell cannot withstand my church. But see, as he's laying there in that bed, thinking the last 24 hours, he keeps thinking when Jesus said, hey, one day I'm going to go, but don't be worried because I'm going to send the helper. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to come upon you and you're going to do greater things than I ever did. And I wonder if he's in his bed just sitting there going, yep, yeah, that happened. Because he remembers just sitting there in a room with the other disciples and all of a sudden there's this sound like this massive wind that comes into the room. And then he's looking around and it looks like, it looks like, like tongues on fire resting on everyone there. And then they begin to speak languages they don't know. People outside the wall hear it and some are astonished. They're giving praise to God. Others are sitting there going, ah, they're just drunk. Because I've heard this is what happens. I don't know from experience. But I've heard this is what happens. Like if you just get flaming drunk, you can speak Spanish. <laughs> I just heard it. Like if you get plastered, Italian comes flying out. Isn't it amazing the things that we'll, we'll come up with to get away from the supernatural because the supernatural is the things we can't control. Can you imagine the whole room speaking every language that's represented outside the wall so those outside the walls can hear the message of the gospel? And as Peter and the 11, or at least that says that Peter and the 11 are out there, it says that this Peter, the one who looked at a little servant girl, I don't know the man, I don't know the man, I don't know the man, looks at thousands of people and stands up and preaches his first sermon. Guys, I remember my first Bible study, my first sermon. It was to seven junior hires in a room and a bunch of couches. They didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be there. (laughs) I knew it was on Gideon. I know it's on Gideon, but I have no clue, but I can guarantee you this. It may have been the worst sermon ever preached in the history of Christendom ever. Like God should have killed me in that moment, but thank you for grace. Horrible. I didn't have this effect. But think about it. Here's Peter. Denies Jesus three times, but all of a sudden, post-resurrection, filling of the Holy Spirit, stands boldly before thousands of people and proclaims. He starts out by going, we're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. I guess that means something. (laughs) It's nine in the morning. We don't get drunk when we're having our Wheaties in the morning. That's not how it works. But then the very first thing he does is what? He quotes Joel, the prophet Joel. He's like, well, how did he know to do this? Like, how did he know to go to Joel? In fact, how did he even know the words of Joel? It's not like Peter's sitting there going, okay, now I'm an apostle. Now I'm the rock. I will study my Bible. He didn't have a Bible. Could it be that Jesus, who before had said, hey, don't worry when you stand before rulers and authorities and governors, the Holy Spirit will give you the words of what you need to say in the moment. 
Could it be that in that moment, the Holy Spirit's giving him the words, and what's the Holy Spirit want him to say? Hey, I want you to use Joel to tell all the people what's going on right now. See, I'd already talked about this hundreds of years before. I want them to understand this is what it meant. And could it also be this, that Peter, watching Jesus teach for some three years, learned how to teach from the best teacher to ever walk the planet. That because Jesus so often said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Maybe Peter pulls back and says, who am I that I would only give my opinion? And so if, if the one who wrote the book always quoted the book, then I should be quoting the book. How humbling was it for Peter to sit and go, it is written. And to boldly <laughs> proclaim these words from Joel. As he goes through this part of the passage, you get to verse 23, then he addresses the crowd. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, you've seen all this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Guys, we got to accept this. Jesus was, he was delivered up by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God that Jesus going to a cross, experiencing the, the wrath of God was not by accident. This was a divine appointment. This was put in place before time began. That God is sovereign and the circumstances that we face do not change his sovereignty. But have you ever noticed how the circumstances that we go to cause us to question his sovereignty? It causes us to question his foreknowledge. It causes us to question his love for us, his care for us, his plan, not just for our lives, but for the entire planet. And we begin to think that we could do it better. And we can't even keep our cars clean. I love the fact that here's Peter who had just seen, not long before this, month and a half or so before this, had watched his Jesus crucified and a month and a half later saying, this was part of the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. For those of you who have lost someone, understand this, God gets it. God understands it. And I don't believe that he's saying, buck up, figure it out, toughen up. I think he hates death. I think he hates what it does. I think he hates the pain that we go through because of it. But are you not thankful that death is not the end in what God has set up? See, we brought death and God fixed it. Now, some of you are sitting there going, um, Brian, wrong holiday. This sounds like Easter. I mean, when are you going to get to like baby Jesus? Baby Jesus in a manger and soft golden hay? Have you ever laid down on hay? There's a reason you don't make a blanket out of hay, because it sucks. Like, what you, I mean, there's no shepherd in the story. There's no angel. You're not doing Luke 2. You're not doing Matthew 1 through 2. Like, what are you doing? You're missing the Christmas story. Understand this, friends. Jesus coming and being born as a baby and lying down in a manger doesn't matter if there's no resurrection. There's no, there's no point. Like when you sit and go, but no, no, this is my favorite story because it's nicer. Really? 
Do you remember what King Herod did to make sure that I want to get rid of Jesus and so I want you to go and kill all the babies that are two and under? We don't share that part in the Christmas story. I never, I've never seen that here at Come Celebrate Christmas. <laughs> Not once. I've never seen it reenacted. So it's amazing. It was just go. It was all just nice. And I know, I know in that manger, and I know in that little rock-shaped little stable, I know there were Christmas lights. <laughs> and I know the cattle went there, but they didn't poop there ever. <laughs> See, I like the Christmas story because it's nice and it doesn't confront me. Guys, the things that I've noticed in scripture, I, I haven't I haven't seen this. The only time I see this massive movement of God where people surrender and repent is that we're brought face to face with a crucified Jesus who came back from the dead. That's when it seems like whenever that's brought up, there's just this movement that happens. Now watch what Peter does boldly. The foreknowledge of God, catch it, you crucified and killed him. That's kind of bold. That's not politically correct. He wasn't thinking of their feelings. He says, you, think about it, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And then here's the hope. You're like, dang, this is a downer message. No, 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 no. What's the next four words? God raised him up. God raised him up. That's the hope. That's the hope. Do you see it? Look what he says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It's almost like death, you were wasting your time. I mean, that's a cute little effort. Like I know sometimes we kind of picture maybe Jesus, there's his body, he's in death. And then comes Sunday, we're just going, oh, I hope he gets it, I hope he gets it. You know what it was like? It was like when my boys were one and they wanted to wrestle with me. You're like, could they take you? No. And I wouldn't let them. They got to learn. <laughs> like, I wasn't worried. I didn't sit there and go, oh my, I got, last time was tough. I mean, because I got to take on Tally. He's got a huge head, so that's heavy. So we got to go for it. Guys, there's no, compa- there's no comparison. It's no competition. It wasn't like Jesus is sitting there going, I hope it works, I hope it works, because haven't we done a horrible job at defining hope? That's how we use it. I hope this happens, I hope this comes about, I hope I can make it. If somebody asks you over in like a group of people, hey, you guys should all come, everyone's coming over, you should come over too, and you don't really like them, you can use it as a cop-out. Oh, I've got a lot going on, but I really hope I can be there. The whole, all the while going, thank God I don't have to go to that. Don't judge me, because that's what you think too. It's kind of like this. If, ever, if someone ever comes up to you and says, hey, I'd really like for you to be involved in this ministry, you're like, hmm, let me pray about that. That's just a polite way of saying no. Okay, so that's kind of how we use it. I hope, I hope, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. And guys, we've missed the point of hope. Hope is not this thing, I don't know if it's gonna happen. Hope is, 
I believe in the sovereign power of a God who spoke everything into existence. I believe in the sovereign and caring grace of a God who came for us because we couldn't get to him. I believe in the ability and sovereign power of a God who can do the miraculous in our midst. I believe in the sovereign plan of God who put himself on a cross, died, and came back from the dead. And therefore, I can stand in hope no matter what I'm facing because death couldn't hold him down. And God came back from the dead. That's my hope. I hope he can do something. I hope God can do something. I feel like God looks and says, death couldn't handle me. And the grave couldn't hold me. It's kind of like this. Whether when you were little or you've got little ones or you had little ones, do you remember the first time you tried to get them to jump to you in the pool? And you would count to three. Now, some of you guys have those kids. Seriously. It's like you, don't, you barely get to one. Okay, you're going to jump to me one, and they're on you, right? They just have no fear. And they will terrify you the rest of your lives. <laughs> but how many of you ever had that kid where you count to three? You're like, one, two, and then they, are you, you going to catch me? Nope, I'm going to let you drown. You got to learn. You're going to finish it. Come on. No, he's like, no, I got you, buddy. I got you. Okay, one, on, on three, on three. You start to count one. Okay, on three or like one, two, three, go. Come on, don't do this to me. Because seriously, can't little two-year-olds break your heart? We're grown adults. We're grown adults. I don't know if you notice This, honestly, most of the time, 90% of the time, this, this terrifies children. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I even try to get on their level. I'm like, and it hurts because my back's kind of like, hey, it's great. I don't go, hey, little boy. I don't do that. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually trying to have a conversation. I get on my knees. I'm sitting there on my chest. And I'm not going to lie. It kills me every time they go, ah, and they just take off screaming. I'm like, I'm hideous. Don't look on me. Ah. No one can break my heart like two-year-olds who do that. But you know how fantastic it is when they finally, when they finally trust you. You stay on the count of three. Jump in. One, two, on the edge. Their little knees are going crazy. Like three, boom. You're like, yeah. And what do they do? I want to do it again. <laughs> I want to do it again. Maybe for some of you sit there and go, okay, I hear that. I even clapped on that one part that everybody did because it's church. What do I do now, though? So Jesus came back from the dead, but he hasn't come back yet. And I'm still facing this. I'm still, I'm still facing this. Oh, you just went through this in Christmas? Yeah, there's, no, there's not a lot of joy in this one for me. I'm not sure God can do it this time. What do I do? I think you jump when he counts to three. He's just sitting there going, you know what you were doing before? Guys, isn't it crazy what God can do on the count of three? Like, what do you mean? Friday, Jesus is crucified. And maybe at the end of the day, God goes, one. Remember, death couldn't hold him. Saturday comes, two. Sunday comes, God goes, three. And everything changed. Could it be that God is saying the same thing? 
Just count. Come with me. Count to three with me. One, red, one, two, three. Jump. Jump. Live. Live. Be broken, but live. And trust that God who could do the miraculous on three on that resurrection day still does the miraculous every single day because he's constantly looking at us going, I know this is a big one, but all, here we go. Ready? One, two, three, and you go for it. Not hoping that he'll catch you, but jumping because you have true hope that he can. Not moving forward, hoping he'll show up, but moving forward because you know he will. And then all of a sudden, he quotes David again. He goes back to scripture. He says, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand. How do you do that? How is someone before you and next to you at the same time? Doesn't make any sense. Except to God, he's like, it makes total sense to me. I'll go before you. What you're going into, I'll go first. And as you go through it, I'll be right next to you. I used this analogy last week. Um, Old people, where you at? You know who you are, because, like, don't be offended, because you're the ones, I'm with you, because I got out of bed going, ah, that hurt. I want to go back. Remember Thomas, Thomas Guides? Remember those big books? <laughs> Young people are like, what the crud are you talking about? That's, it's like you had one for every county. So traveling salesman, you're mapping out your course every day. You got all of them on the table the night before, you find your street name, you go to the back, you find A2 and this coordinate, right? You find it, then you find where you're coming from, and then you have to find the map, like you had to do it. Today, it's just like, I got ways. I got Google Maps. Siri, take me home. I don't know where a bakery is. I don't, okay, Siri, Siri sucks. Okay, so, so you have to find how to get somewhere, right? But you ever been on a vacation where you had no plans? No schedule. You just go where you want, however you want. And if you have GPS, it just tells you where to go. There's no stress. Even if you make a turn wrong, a wrong turn. Isn't it great that the GPS isn't going, hey, stupid. I said left, you moron. You went right. It's just nice. I remember as I'm moving forward with what God has for me to go be doing next, I sit there going, oh, God, how's this going to work? And how's this going to work? And I felt like he said, hey, all I've asked you to walk is just walk with me. That's it. You don't need to know where you're going. You don't even need to remember where you've been. Just sit back. Let's just, let's just walk. Just act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. It's like he's saying, I know where I'm going. You come with me. Don't even pay attention to the terrain. You won't have to remember how to get here because we're going to keep going. He leads. He guides. He's in front of me. He's beside me. He walks through it with me. For he is in my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also, catch it, my flesh also will dwell in hope. Right now, my flesh, where I'm at, not just in heaven, but I'm talking right now, my flesh will dwell in hope because God's gone before me. He's with me in the midst of it. Catch it. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. You will not abandon my soul to death. Think about it. Those of us who know Jesus, here's the hope. If death couldn't handle God, death cannot handle God's kids. Why would Jesus leave us where death couldn't handle him? There's the hope. And for those of us who've lost loved ones, God's sitting there going, you do not understand how good it is up here. You don't get it. But isn't it great to know he says, but I'm right next to you. I'm right next to you. 
But oh, I have healed that person completely. But I'll walk with you. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Gladness is coming. He's like, I don't feel it now. Look how he he worded it. You will fill me with gladness. It's like it's coming. That maybe right right now not so much. He's like, no, you got to hold on. Like death you think is the end. And customer going, no, 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 no. I killed it. I took away its sting. I know it still hurts, but man, it doesn't keep you down. But I will give you gladness in my presence. I promise. And so for those of you in that point, or that circumstance, you just heard that news from the doctor and you weren't expecting that, or that situation, I'm going to pay for this. Or you just have that loved one who's just kind of walked away from Jesus. And you're sitting there going, how are we going to get this? How are we going to come through this? And God's sitting there going, I beat death. I beat it, and it couldn't hold me down. This, oh, I got this. I've gone before you, and I'll go with you. And I promise I'll give you gladness. That's your hope. That's your hope. See how it all comes together? Can you see why Peter would be laying on his bed going, I'm exhausted. Oh, but what a day. Because when he finished this message, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. Are you kidding me? That's a successful first message. (laughs) And there are probably still some out in the crowd going, I don't like the point that you made. I think you misquoted David. (laughs) Where's our hope? Jane, the team's going to come back and close us. The song that I remember singing back in the day, it's one of those things called a hymn. Have you ever heard of those? (laughs) As they come up, I just want to read this. Out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 to 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Catch it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. In other words, it's like this. You will make it. How do I know? Because God will surely do it. As we move forward, if there's one thing I want you to walk out of here, this is the, this is the tweet. Ready? I think we've got to get back to what hope really is. Because of Jesus, hope is not wishful thinking, but rather expectant certainty. Because of Jesus, hope is not wishful thinking, but expectant certainty. Not, I hope, I hope it's, My hope is built on nothing less but what? That's it. But Jesus Christ and righteousness. Oh, that's it. My hope is on nothing else but the fact that Jesus did it and does it. And he cannot fail. Can I pray for you? Jesus, with what we've dealt with this week, or this year, or for some this decade, thank you for the reminder that you alone are hope. You give us hope. Not wishful thinking, but expectant certainty. 
And in the midst of the pain, we thank you that your presence brings about your gladness. And we are affected and impacted by that. God, thank you. Thank you for Christmas as it reminds us that you came back from the dead. God, bless this time for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.